Hi, Salima here. Please help us produce our people-powered radio at radioproject.org. Thank you, and here's the show. Making, making contact. Making, 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 making contact. This week on Making Contact. When I look at the Bay Area, it's always home. And when I say home, that means I was originally planted there. My ancestors have been there since the beginning of time. So I'm always home. So that's a blessing. But it's a double-edged sword. This other piece of me has to deal with seeing bulldozers pulling up street and not knowing if my ancestors are going to be there as well and knowing that all the 425-plus burial sites of my ancestors have been destroyed because of development. Today you'll hear excerpts from the documentary Beyond Recognition. The film was directed and produced by Michelle Grace Steinberg of Underexposed Films and co-produced by Robin Bykowski. It looks at the challenges faced by indigenous people in the San Francisco Bay Area whose tribes are not federally recognized. I'm Charlotte Landis, your host for this week. We'll follow Corinna Gould, Janella LaRose, and other native Ohlone's as they occupy a sacred site in Vallejo, California, to prevent its development and desecration. It's about the survival of our culture and who we are. In every other way, we have been erased. This generation has to make that leap in order for us to survive. After the occupation fails to stop the development of the sacred site, these Ohlone activists vow to follow a new path. And so what we're trying to do now is create a land trust, a space where Ohlone people can come together, revitalize language and song and dance and ceremony, and talk about looking at the Bay Area in a different way, doing what our ancestors taught us to do, to take care of the land. And how do we do that with cities brought up all around us? The Land Trust will allow Gould and La Rosa's organization more options to interact with the state, even without federal recognition. They named this new effort the Segorate Land Trust, after the sacred site they occupied to protect, Segorate. There was particular kinds of colonization that happened to California Indians up and down the coast. The Spanish sponsored the Catholic Church to come in and establish missions to domesticate the native people. They didn't want to get rid of them, they wanted a labor force. The way to do that is to disconnect their cultural cohesion. Native people got brought into the mission, baptized. 90% of the people died. Then the following American period where they were just interested in dead Indians so they could take the land. And the state of California made these crazy laws which made it illegal to be Indian in California. In the 50s and 60s, you had all these tribal groups that were destitute. 
people dying, starving, economic depression. And people saw that, especially during the activism that came in in the 70s with Alcatraz and civil rights. So people said, we need to help these Indians do something for them. And they came up with this process. thousands of cultures that lived and continue to live here in the United States. Only a fraction of those are tribes that have federal recognition status, meaning that they have a sovereign relationship with the United States. Everyone else, we don't have the same rights to protect our ancestors, the same rights to education, and the same rights to health care. Federal recognition is more than just a name it's a whole complex system of how we navigate in the world as Native people. It's a process that is about us. It's not by us, for us, or with us. Even one of the developers of the criteria testified in Congress to his belief that the way it's being used is racist. It has made it virtually impossible for Mission California Indians to be recognized. There's too much economics involved along the coast for government to allow it. I always knew who I was because my mother always told us who we were. So growing up, I've already known that I was alone. I was an Indian woman on my own land, no matter what the federal government said. I really acknowledge people that are doing the recognition process and the hard work that that must entail, that that is not my dream. My life's work is to do the work of the ancestors, is to recreate a place for them to come back to, to ensure that the culture and the practices continue on for the next seven generations. Having people realize that Ohlone people still exist has created a different way of looking at recognition. People just really have come to the Bay Area not knowing what existed here prior to them being here. You can go to different places in the world and you can touch those sacred places. You can go to Mexico and Egypt and you can touch those pyramids that are there. When you bring your family and friends to the Bay Area, where are those monuments of the people that were once here? Do you take them to the mall? A fake 50-foot shell mound filled with whitewashed history, adding insult to injury, saying nothing about Ohlone burials, nothing about the hundreds of bodies already removed to create space for the foundation of the new mall. Nothing about the vibrant Ohlone community alive today. I want to 
thank you, each and every one of you, for coming out and supporting this 14th year of the Shell Mound protest. When we stand here, it's a sacred site. This isn't a mall. Everywhere I travel, I always pray at these sacred sites of our ancestors. That's why I'm here today. So I welcome you here. I hope you offer your prayer to them. We believe that these ancestors are taking care of us and we're going to become ancestors ourselves. And so if we don't take care of these ancestors, we're not going to get those messages and those teachings that we need to move on in this life. So we have to do a good job of keeping them safe in their burial sites. They intentionally keep us invisible because they don't want any attention raised about what they're doing to these burial grounds throughout California. I wonder how people would like it if you went into their cemetery and built a bunch of condominiums with the body still in place. This is like actually on top of people? Yes. So you said right now these people that are shopping are shopping on top of people who were dead. They, they dug up and just took them over to Berkeley Museum. They're still here. Some of them are still here. Well, you know what? I'm taking this stuff back right now because that's wrong with them to do. <laughs> this is Janella LaRose. When you tell the story of land, even though maybe people may not be on their traditional homelands, they may not even be from this country, but the thing is that they understand. When you start talking about land, you start talking about water, you start talking about being a part of something, people can resonate with that, and that has a real deep, deep meaning. Corinna Gould from Indian People Organizing for Change. One of the things that you can see in any given neighborhood is three or four churches or synagogues or mosques. Where do you see those same kind of sacred places for the Ohlone people? Native people have the same right to practice their religion in the way that they want to. And that for us has always been outside in nature. I grew up in Oakland. The world grew up around us. That has always been my village site, the village site of Huchin, where I come from. My good friend, Janella LaRose, we created an organization called Indian People Organizing for Change and began to do sacred sites work in the Bay Area. We would get phone calls that they're pulling up my ancestors, they're pulling up my ancestors, and how do we stop that? We walked to those shell mounds for four years trying to stop the bodies from coming back out of the ground. My ancestors also come from this really special place called Segorite. April 14th, 2011, the city of Vallejo, they were actually going to bulldoze it through where my ancestors are buried. We put out a call and we asked people to come. And on that day we showed up, we lit a sacred fire that lasted for 109 days. And we didn't leave that space. And I really feel like our ancestors were there. Because what happened was that people from all walks of life came and we created a village very similar to the village that must have once been there. We left, we thought, in victory.
This is Making Contact. You've been listening to excerpts from the film Beyond Recognition by Michelle Grace Steinberg. We'll link to the film and the community groups at our website, radioproject.org. That's also where you can sign up and be the first to know about our new episodes and behind-the-scenes info. So join in at radioproject.org. back to the film and the occupation of Segorite. Although the occupation halted the development temporarily, the city of Vallejo did not directly negotiate with the group from Indian people organizing for change because they did not represent federally recognized tribes. Instead, the city signed a cultural easement with the Yolo County-based Yochidehe Wintu Nation, the closest federally recognized tribe. Under the agreement, the tribe gained the legal right to oversee and protect the area. However, the Yochidehe tribe is a good two hours from the Ohlone area and has little connection to the Segorite struggle. Within months, they made concessions to the Greater Vallejo Recreation District, a government agency. This is Corinna Gould. We went back in October and we had seen the devastation of the land that had happened. And it felt like a kick in the gut. It's always hard coming back here because when we left here, the place looked a lot different than this. What ended up happening was a few months after we left, they had desecrated the area that we asked them not to. To actually be here and to actually see the land and, and really feel it is, is so sad. It really is. We fought, and I think some people will say we lost because the Ohlone people aren't federally recognized. I think that we won, just not in the material world. This land brought us all together for a reason, to get a better idea of who we were as human beings. Segorite was that important, pivotal point in us realizing that there was a different way of doing this organizing. And I think that that's what a land trust does, that it gives us the opportunity to be recognized in a different kind of way. Building community is what's going to help us survive through all the other things that are happening in this world. And I think that that was the biggest lesson that I learned at Segorite. Anybody that walked through that gate had a place to be there. By being able to connect back to the land. Segorite is the first women-led, urban, indigenous land trust in the country. Land trusts have been used by indigenous people across the country to preserve their historic lands, but the idea to preserve parcels of land in an urban environment and return them to indigenous stewardship is something new. This is Dr. Beth Rose Middleton. 
Well, forming a land trust is always challenging. <laughs> I mean, it's a I mean you're forming a nonprofit organization that's sole focus is land conservation or stewardship, and you can broaden it to mean cultural conservation. Janella LaRose. I like to look at maps a lot, you know, and I like to look at the land, and I really just see like little plots of land everywhere all over the Bay Area that is sacred space, just like Segorite. People can just be there with nothing else there and just have their mm-hmm. place to pray. Women, as mothers, as grandmothers, we have this connection that's undeniable, and we have to do something, we have to leave something for these children. That intergenerational aspect of it mm-hmm. matches, I think, people's relationship to place mm-hmm. over time and the way you want it to carry forth into future generations. And there's not many legal tools that do no. that. Mm-hmm. I learned so much from the young people. There's this idea sometimes that because you're older, you think you know more, but it is mm-hmm. absolutely not true. <laughs> Dr. Beth Rose Middleton. A land trust is a nonprofit organization focused on conservation. Citizens who are tired of waiting for public support for conserving places that are important to them raise their own funds and purchase properties in order to protect them. Generally, land trusts in the Bay Area have been used for protecting open space, protecting certain habitats or species of concern, and protecting agricultural uses. Sort of a biological focus on conservation. There's a lot of money to be raised for that. The land trust that Karina and Janella are working on is different for a number of reasons. They're going to be looking at urban areas, at sites that we typically think of as built upon that are actually sites of a lot of deep history. This is a more cultural focus on conservation. The challenges in developing this urban, native, women-led land trust are similar to the challenges faced in general by non-federally recognized tribes in urban areas. The reason tribes are not recognized there, one of the big reasons, is because of the extreme development of that land and the extreme value of that land. You're having to buy back your own land. One of my other dreams to have happen is the 15,000 ancestral remains that's at UC Berkeley and the 15,000 ancestral remains at San Francisco State will go back into our land before I die. I'm the executive director for CILS. Why don't you come on in? Thank you so much for meeting with me. Sure. We've been doing all of this work and education in the Bay Area about the remains of our ancestors being held in all of these places and the desecration of our sacred sites and all of these kinds of things. But then when you really get down to it, there's nowhere to put them. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's important that we get a land base. How do we begin the legal process of doing those kinds of things? Unrecognized tribes now can actually request repatriation of those remains. You don't have to be a federally recognized tribe in order to obtain those. So it's just another thing to think about is if if you're wanting to pursue those remains once you have your land. What you may need to look at is whether or not there's private ownership which would allow a portion of their land to be utilized by the tribe. 
talk about land, we talk about for us as Ohlone people, as indigenous people of this land, our DNA is in this ground. We come from this place that we know we have original teachings and that those original teachings aren't gonna do us any good if we don't share them with everyone. And so when we begin to re-envision as a community, what does it look like to have land? It's not just my vision, but one of the things that we can do is to begin at home. This is Lisa Tiny Gray Garcia. This is liberation for all of you to be here, for all of us to be thinking about the ideas that the system that's out there is the only system that's available, because it's not. Tiny is creating an interdependent way of living this off-the-grid piece of land in the middle of urban Oakland where there's able to build community in a different kind of way. Hopefulness is a poor people-led, indigenous people-led movement. We, as poor people who've been removed and displaced and gentrified, are stewarding this land. When we started this project, the first thing we did is to ask our Ohlone brothers and sisters whether we could build here. We have a small uh, budding farm. We're going to get a goat. But we also have to teach our children how to take care of their bodies and take care of their elders. Karina and other indigenous elders will be the teachers here. <laughs> it gives me an idea of something that's already here. So it makes me hopeful around getting the land trust really soon. Janella LaRose. The land was taken and that was such a deep soul wound. You say this is what we're about. When we talk about this land trust, it's healing for everybody. It's not just, oh, we're native people, we're close to the land, we have this spiritual connection. Everybody has a spiritual connection, but it's been lost. You'll see these lots or old abandoned houses. You just can see the possibilities. We can recreate a shell mound so that our ancestors be reburied at. If a family wanted to have a ceremony for their child's naming. Bring back our languages and our songs and our dances. People can grow their traditional foods, learn about water, learn about land. And hopefully other places in the United States can go back to doing something similar. begin to dream about what this land trust is. It's a way for us as human beings to come back to being human beings. A way for us to learn how to treat each other with respect. A way for us to re-envision the Bay Area. We can create a healing for the people that are here. Not just the Ohlone people, but all people that exist on this land. When the film you're hearing came out in 2014, Corinna and the group Indian People Organizing for Change were still working to form the Segorate Land Trust. That goal has now been realized. And they secured the first piece of land, the Lisgen site in East Oakland. This site was donated by Planting Justice, which also maintains a certified organic nursery on the same property.
While the trust continues its work to find additional parcels of land, they also need funding so that they can acquire any available plots they find. So, they've established the Shumi land tax for non-native people living on Chochenyo and Carquinaloni lands. Shumi means gift in Chochenyo, and the tax is entirely voluntary. We will include a link on our site to Segura Tay's website, where they offer to calculate a suggested tax based on the value of the land you're living on. As they write on their website, If you live on Chichenyo and Karkin Ohlone land, you are inadvertently benefiting from the genocide waged against the Ohlone people and the theft of their land. So paying the Shumi land tax is a small way to acknowledge this legacy and contribute to its healing. Shumi invites you to think about what you can offer, find out what is useful, and make it happen. listening to Making Contact, and you can find us at radioproject.org. The voices of Corinna Gould, Janella LaRose, Dr. Beth Rose Middleton, and Lisa Tiny Gray Garcia were brought to you by Michelle Gray Steinberg and her film Beyond Recognition. You can access the full movie online at underexposedfilms.com slash beyondrecognition. This episode of Making Contact was produced by Charlotte Landis and Lisa Rudman. The Making Contact team also includes Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, Salima Hamarani, Aisha Chowdhury, Jackie Maruziak, and Dylan Hoyer. You can sign up for updates at radioproject.org. Follow us on social media and send us your feedback and topic suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. Here's a special shout out to indigenous media makers, native stations, and communities. For over two decades, Making Contact has aired on several tribal radio stations. We feature reporting by and voices of indigenous communities for all to hear. Thanks to support from the Christensen Fund, we've been able to co-create programs with Ohlone people, through Making Contact's local community storytelling fellowships. We're more committed than ever to working with our indigenous partners. Now, we invite you to help keep that work going. 
please share this program with your friends, subscribe to our podcast, connect us to your community's Native media makers and stories. Please contact us at radioproject.org.